0: This podcast is brought to you by Watchword Security. Watchword provides security services to clients who own or manage property. We're a values-based organisation who focus on the customer experience. If you need a security team that you can rely on, Watchword can help. You can find out more at watchwordsecurity.co.uk.
1: The leadership in the management, the operational skill sets, um, irrespective of the technologies, the technologies can be learned. Are invaluable. Um, I come across a lot of people in in the trade where they have great technical skill sets um, through study and are incredibly bright people but just not yet had the opportunity to implement them in the real world, be presented with real-world challenges uh, and, and evolve that think-out-of-the-box skill set which I think is inherent in, in all service people.
0: Welcome to the Watchword podcast, exploring life's big decisions and the factors behind them. In this episode, I'll talk to Ben Lipsinski. Ben spent 13 years as a naval officer serving on both submarines and ships before deciding to take the leap into cybersecurity in 2015. Ben has worked for EY, Accenture and now another of the big four consulting firms. His story is one of a hugely successful transition and we hope it helps those who are planning career changes, and looking for ideas. Cybersecurity is a good fit for those with a military skill set. Remember to follow the WatchWeb podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And if you can give us a review on iTunes, I would be very grateful. Hello, Ben. Thank you very much for joining me today. Uh, it's much appreciated. I'm looking forward to talking to you. Uh, I know that you're in Ireland at the moment so it's interesting to get your perspective initially as a cyber security expert on the on the current situation that we're in
1: certainly and thank you for inviting me onto this um yeah it's interesting times as everyone's adapting to the new norm i think we've moved beyond business continuity planning i don't think anyone foresaw this lasting or becoming such an impact as it has both to ways of working and the economy um and it's it's generating some interesting uh, discussions uh, and and pieces of work in how can people re- adapt to this new norm uh, re- work remotely, deliver their services uh, but also safely and securely
0: mm. So are you seeing any sort of emerging patterns or 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 problems what kind of things are your are your clients coming to you with?
1: Yeah, we're starting to see a a few interesting things. We're starting to see a number of threat actors uh, exploit the situation through targeted phishing campaigns, uh, trying to get people to uh, respond in in these sort of heightened states uh, and panicked states potentially, uh, leveraging sort of topics of the corona uh, situation to to get people to click on links. Um, I think a lot of people didn't really look to, to to have remote working so they've been rapidly trying to generate this capability um, and there's, they've been struggling with trying to achieve this balance between operational delivery and capability uh, but also in a secure fashion. They, they want to keep their business running uh, and the, the sad thing or the, the unfortunate thing is that uh, security potentially is, is taking a bit of an afterthought on occasions. Mm.
0: So it's fair to say that your your services are as in demand uh, as ever maybe more?
1: I would certainly say so yes I'd say our, our services are in demand and, and will continue to be so uh, what our offerings are and, and how we deliver uh, we're having to adapt to new ways of working as, as, as everyone else is uh, and that might evolve but in terms of supporting our clients uh, and the local market and the European market um, I would say that uh, cybersecurity will become Uh, or will remain as relevant, if not more relevant, uh, as we uh, come out of this. Interesting.
0: That's interesting. So I mean, it's great that you, well, thank you for taking the time. And um, it's interesting that you've, you've made this transition from, from the Navy to become a a cybersecurity expert. And um, obviously, we're going to talk through that you left the Navy in 2015. So five years is a, isn't a huge amount of time, but it's, but you've achieved a lot in that time uh and to work at two of the, two of the big four consultancy firms in that time as well so it's it's it'd be interesting to explore that journey um and if we were to sort of start your background is is in engineering what do you think attracted you to engineering in your in your youth
1: <laughs> yeah so i i came very much at the the core engineering path um I come from a a family of engineers, uh, so I think I was always exposed to it. My father lectured (laughs) in the subject and uh, any sort of intern day or holiday uh, without childcare, I was up in the university labs uh, being babysat by the students. Um, And as a a child, I, I was always, growing up, I was always keen on taking things apart. I wouldn't say I was particularly good at putting them back together again. Um, but that that's something that sort of stuck with me I'd want to know how things were working on the inside so I'd take them apart and I think as I evolved it was how can I make these better so I guess hacking in the truest form uh, and that that wasn't linked to anything particular that included computers cars lawnmowers you name it
0: and so it, the, the, your 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 hobby was taking things apart. And did that, did that cause any issues in your household?
1: Oh, undoubtedly, yes. Um, uh, whether that be with, with friends where I'd take their toys apart to show them how it worked, but not put it back together again, um, or, or being found pulling light sockets out the wall, power sockets out the wall as a, as a, as a child. Um, so I think safety was a bit, bit of a concern there. So uh, I was fortunate that my, my parents directed that um, curiosity and energy uh, into in some more safe and supervised uh, uh, environments. Yeah, and um, I'd help my, my my dad work on the car and sort of spend a lot of weekends underneath a car or a boat, trying to keep it fixed or uh, keep it running.
0: Yeah, so it basically came nat- naturally to you. And um, at what point did you start considering joining the the military and why why the navy?
1: Uh, as as growing up, I, I was always into sort of my out. Doors. Uh, I love spending as much time out there and, and exploring. Um, uh, through sports, I'm, I'm big into climbing. I, I, I do quite well at, uh, at rowing and and mountaineering. Um, and and I joined the cadet service, uh, the air cadets as it was uh, in my hometown uh, as, as soon as I could, uh, where I got the. I think I got the real passion for. The military. Um, I, I like the sort of the organisation. I guess the uniformed uh, aspect of it. Um, I, I, I think that that that's where it sort of was fostered. I don't. I think I'd, I never intended on joining the Royal Navy. Uh, I grew up away from the sea. Um, uh, and being in in the air cadets, it was, it was sort of always the RAF. Um, mm-hmm. I always wanted to fly. Uh, I had the childhood dream of being a, a pilot. Um, all the way through so that was my aspiration and inspiration um and I uh I went to, I remember going to the recruiting office uh and I I sort of walked out a little bit sort of disheartened I think by the RAF and and just before I left the door uh, uh an old salty sailor sort of came up to me and said you know said you, you know you know we fly in the navy as well I was, no I didn't so I, I was pulled down that path um passed my aptitudes uh, and did my admiralty interview board at the end of school. Uh, Unfortunately, I wasn't successful to be selected for for pilot training uh, at that stage. Um, But what came out of it was uh, an offer for them, for the Royal Navy, to support me through university uh, on the engineering sponsorship scheme. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I was promptly enrolled in Southampton University, where I spent the next three years. Uh, studying electrical engineering, uh, with the aspiration or the the intent of uh, working on electric battleships, as it was at the time, uh, mm. but but the timing of qualifying and uh, the procurement of such fighting systems <laughs> was mismatched. Uh, so they suggested that uh, myself and my my colleagues at the time would go into the weapons engineering branch.
0: Mm. So you're you obviously if you had a, a sort of lifelong aspiration to be a pilot, which is notoriously difficult to achieve. It's not it's obviously it's um it's tough. How how did you feel when when you had to change path? Was it something that you that bothered you or did you take it in your stride?
1: I think initially I was pretty disheartened, yeah. Um you know, that's something I'd always sort of been focusing on. Um but the opportunity to sort of work on on some of the big naval systems uh, and learn more and, and and bigger things to take apart, if you will, yeah. uh, was a, was a big attraction. Uh, that and um, the people that I'd I'd gone through university with and met in that time that were were serving uh, was a huge attraction. So it, yeah, I think disheartened from the flying, but but. I think, uh, you know, when one door closes, uh, another one opens and yeah, and it it was, I would have regretted not looking inside it and at least giving it a go.
0: Definitely. Uh, Well, and it seems like that was a a great fit for you anyway, the, um, to study engineering, it kind of perfectly aligned to everything you'd be doing up until that point. Um, so you've, so you finished at university and then were, were you straight off to Dartmouth or was there, was there a gap?
1: Yeah, so part of the engineering sponsorship scheme, we had to uh, in our in our holidays we had to do additional training uh, or militarisation. Uh, so in that time, myself and uh, a good friend of mine, we were we were fortunate enough to spend a bit of time with uh, the embassy in Oman, very briefly. So that gave us great exposure to to sort of live operations out in that area. Um, time down in the dockyards essentially just doing very basic junior officer roles but great exposure to to military life Mm. and then off to Dartmouth um, yeah uh, I think it was a a few months after graduating from university if I remember correctly
0: so we so far we haven't had any anyone on from the navy so it's great it is great to have someone from the from the navy on uh, on the podcast and we've spoken quite a lot I think about Sandhurst um and obviously Dartmouth is the naval equivalent. So it'd be interesting to just to get your reflections on Dartmouth, its its structure, how, how it how it delivers its training and whether or not you enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, Dartmouth was excellent. Um it, it, it real eye opener, getting the train down to down to the Dartmouth area, getting picked up on the coach. I think you know you're all you'll get off the coach in the front of these Fantastic architectural buildings in your suits. Not really sure what's going to happen uh, Get your grab bag and, and we, we got put into squadrons um, uh, It was it was for me. It was a an international group of people uh, from across the Commonwealth uh, all thrown into a, a bunk room um, And then straight into sort of kit collection, etc uh, the training was very uh, maritime focused. There was no, or well, very little engineering training there. It was all about bringing us up to the same level. So, uh, maritime navigation, rules of the road, uh, which is uh, the rules for, for operating at sea. We had to learn that verbatim. Uh, even if you were an engineer or a pilot or or a doctor or a medic, a um, lot of leadership training, which was was excellent, team building skills. Um, and history I think history and strategy which is which was some of the things I found fascinating um, especially when they could present you with the the real artifacts from that piece of uh, history education for you to hold and and read and look at I think that was that was something that I'll always uh, remember
0: yeah yeah it must it's would you say it was the steepest learning curve that you that you had in your in your naval career Dartmouth or were there steeper ones to come uh, they're,
1: they're, i think it was preparing me for for steeper ones to come um yeah. I, I i think i'd i naturally enjoy uh, uh, and and cope with with working with diverse teams and people uh and that leadership aspect um i, I feel like that that was all I, I really enjoyed it and it sort of all came in my stride a little bit uh, I think the steeper learning curves with this are the academic ones that were, were just around the corner, um, but just out at sight at that time. Yeah.
0: So you've you finished, you finished at Dartmouth. You're a young officer. Did you did you get to go off around around the world? I know you served on submarines and, and ships.
1: Yeah. So as a young officer, you you one of the one of the phases, one of the period uh, times you, you spend at sea. Um, I went to HMS Cumberland if I remember correctly uh, on a NATO deployment in Europe so very fortunate there joined a ship uh, and in our time we essentially uh, we don't join that ship as as officers if you will uh, we're officers under training but the the training objective there is to understand what everyone does on the ship all the way through the crew mm-hmm. so that when you are an officer on board and you ask some think of someone you you understand what that means and what's behind it so you're you join um i guess as as a sailor um and we spent a number of months uh going around Europe with the NATO fleet which was fantastic again opportunities to see how the other nations operated uh great runs ashore uh at various ports around Europe uh real eye opener huge learning opportunities around working with Huge, diverse set of people from widely different backgrounds and upbringings, uh, and a real understanding of how all that sort of theory you learned in Dartmouth comes together.
0: Yeah, I can imagine the runs ashore must must be pretty good fun <laughs> when you're a young officer. So where, where 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 were your particular highlights in terms of um, destinations to to go ashore?
1: I think uh uh, oh that's a good question probably lisbon or porto uh, sort of stand out to me um some of the older officers or the more experienced officers or or sailors you know they they'll take Well, you think you're they're taking you under their wing and they say come out with us tonight you know see 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 what this is like (laughs) um and you thought you would managed to get some of this sort of uh, capability drinking capability, I guess, squared away at, at, at uni. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was far that was far from the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's you know again, it's sort of almost that testing uh, to see what your character is um, in a completely different environment. Um, and it was again, it was great to a real eye opener for me to to meet all these people, uh, certainly from other nations. Yeah, Uh, and and a great exposure. And I think it really started to shape me uh, as a character as a person as an officer uh, about how to build teams uh, How to get effective operations delivered uh, and how to how to get the best out of people
0: Yeah, it's interesting that's uh, we've talked on um, other episodes about what the well primarily army does well but but it's the same in any any of the services I would say they're they're very good um, or just by by design by the nature of the organization you get put in you get put in new situations regularly with different people so you become familiar with getting to know people understanding your objective building the team and sort of working towards the objective and because you do that again and again and again uh, you you just naturally get better at it I mean would you that's sort of my my perspective on it would you would you agree with that
1: I'd completely agree and uh it, it's a skill set that I've liked to think I've brought forward into my my current working environment uh the ability to sort of go and, and walk the patch if you will um don't hide at your desk or or on a client site you know go and catch up with your team where you can um and and it's something that The department I work for now has been, I think, achieving very well, even in in this remote working environment, uh, albeit virtually, um, but regularly checking in on on our team and our team members, making sure that they're all right, because, again, huge diverse workforce. Um, I'm out in the country with my family, uh, but we've got um, people working for us that are fresh out of university, you know, in, in flats on their own in the centre of town, uh, sometimes thousands of miles away from their family uh, and unable to move so sometimes the ability to just reach out over a a video call uh, with one of your colleagues uh, and chew the fat for a little bit uh, inevitably always seems to go back to work because there's usually a question uh, that's Mm -hmm. spurned on from there but I I think that's a a real strong thing that I've I've seen come out of this and, and I would love to see sort of continue. Uh, Even when we go back to the the real environment uh, and essentially get people looking up from their desk.
0: Yeah. yep. And so when you at that point in as a sort of junior officer, you your specialism was was engineering. And is that is that different to your fellow officers? My my knowledge of how ships operate is pretty limited. So um, if you could just sort of summarize what your what your role is and how it fits in with the other teams.
1: Certainly. So, we essentially on a very broad scale on a ship, you've got the warfare team. Um, They'd be, I'm trying to think what an arm equivalent would be, but they'd be sort of the command team. They'd be fighting the ship. Um, And within that, at the time, though it it, it always slightly evolves, you'd have sort of the communications component. Um, and, And they'd be the operators ultimately. And then you'd have your engineering department which was which was ultimately two you'd have the marine engineering department and they were their propulsion and what we call hotel services so your electricity your water your sewage mm-hmm. that would that would be my my colleagues would, would be there my department was uh, the weapons engineering department so again that's, that's, that's subdivided into capabilities so we'd have weapon systems um, so, that would be I don't know, the four and a half inch, inch gun on the front, the missile systems, uh, maintenance um, and support of, of the, the slightly smaller arm systems, or even the, some of the bigger robotic uh, weapon systems, close in weapon systems such as a Phalanx or Goalkeeper. Mm-hmm. Um, within that, you'd also have um, sensor systems. So, again, a, a specialist team of people that would be looking and maintaining the radars, sonars. Uh, and then you'd have the communication systems um so your your radios your satcoms and then you'd also have uh your command systems so the 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 computer if you will that that links all this data together so that we can present a, a sound communications uh and battle picture to command and the warfare department um but being at sea we're, we're a, you're a, you're a floating city or yeah. a, um, So you have numerous other roles, so uh, my roles would, uh, we were also trained firefighters. Um, should we have a fire on board, We. Uh, my, I had another role, I was the CRM BDCO, so Chemical Biological Radiological Nuclear Protection Officer or Damage Control Officer, so should we ever enter one of those environments, um, I would have received specialist training to to ensure the one the protection of the ship's company uh, and advice to command, but also the main you know supporting in maintain that fighting operational capability, mm. um, and also boarding officers. So even as an engineer, uh, when deployed, we we would also be trained as as boarding officers. So from a management leadership perspective, one minute you could be talking to one of your command system maintainers, and I don't know highly technical. Issues around computer systems, and then within the hour you could be in your dry suit, ready to fast rope, uh, you know, onto a onto a uh, vessel of interest for for interdiction. So, uh, with an entirely different team, not from your department, that would have been selected and trained from across the ship's company, uh, on a on a voluntary basis and a, and then a selection basis uh, across fitness and capability, uh, and it was that diversity that that I found really kept me uh, infused um certainly when at sea uh, and when away from your friends and family for long periods of time mm.
0: Wow, well, yeah it is interesting because it made me think you know you sort of briefly mentioned the the army there if you kind of compress the entire su- supply chain of the army and then put it on a ship that's kind of what you're doing plus plus some additional stuff as, as well maybe I don't want
1: to forget the logistics team and the medical team. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> they'll shoot you for that. So, uh, yeah, the loggies the and the and, and the medics are also there too. Mm. So,
0: how long would your? Um, I'm sure it will vary from vessel to vessel. But how long would you be able to operate at sea without having to return um, for resupply?
1: So, uh, if we if we think of the submarines, the the only thing that limits them is, is food, ultimately. Um, so, I w- I could have you-, you could be dived and on patrol for 10 to 14 to 16 weeks, uh, submerged at times. Um, again, it really depends on the type of submarine you are serving on and, and the type of operation. Um, and, and it, you know, I think it's prudent to remember that, you know, even at this time there is a, a-, a Trident submarine out there, you know, yeah. ready at 15 minutes notice to, to deliver its capability. Uh, and is always out there and has been for a, a number of years now when uh and, and that crew is is operating entirely independently uh mm-hmm. ready to ready to conduct its role
0: it's interesting you don't really think about that day-to-day do you? there is a submarine permanently out there patrolling the the uk um well i don't think about that anyway
1: <laughs> and, and i to some extent i think that's that's the purpose. You know, they. They're the uh, nuclear deterrent, and, and you know the, the majority of their strength is is being undetected and mm. um, by potential foe. Mm.
0: And how would that compare to to the ships that you served on in terms of their longevity?
1: Uh, so the ships have the the luxury of being able to resupply at sea, uh, mm. whether that be munitions or food, or engineering supplies. Uh, we can do that, or they can do that, um, or ship to ship. Or using helicopters, or, or pull into ports to receive it. So there's a huge logistics effort behind that, keeping those ships and, and sailors at sea. Mm. Um, deployment times, uh, I think, can again can vary very greatly uh, depending on on your operations, uh, but but is, is is up in the months, uh, territory four six months potentially longer, mm. uh, again depending on the environment. So whether that be ready to deploy for hurricane relief efforts, or uh, flying the flag operations, or or, or supporting other our coalition forces uh, from the water, keeping those sea lanes open. Yeah, um, best efforts are always made to, to sort of give give the opportunity for for downtime or or people to return home, but the operational uh, tempo and objectives will always sort of set the precedence as to how that's uh, managed
0: yeah interesting interesting at the, at the risk of getting sidetracked and talking because i could quite happily just sort of quiz you about the operations of submarines and ships for ages because um, my knowledge is is very limited but i guess you know the the, the aim of this of this podcast and these podcasts in, in general is to is to inform the listener about the the decisions that people have made and the factors behind them um with a view to perhaps you know just presenting options for people to consider i guess because it's i think at various different points in in one's career you have to, you kind of take stock and think about what it is that you want to do and what what you want to achieve um from your career and so you you ended up you spent 13 years in the in the navy um and I guess that it would be interesting to explore your decision to, to depart um, and how that came about and, and what your considerations were.
1: Yeah, certainly. I don't think I ever set off with the intent of doing so long in the Navy. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I, did. I I started off on submarines um, uh, and, and, and sort of decided that I wanted to do other things. Uh, I went to leave the Navy, or at least I was actively considering it. Um, but that was a height of a recession um so I had a sort of a look outside and, and thought mm. uh not not ready yeah. for that so I was very fortunate to be given the opportunity to transfer to the surface flotilla um, where i had a, an excellent run of of jobs uh about once every two to three years which which kept, kept me incredibly inspired i was very I was fortunate enough then to uh, go on to uh command course, um, staff course, pardon, um, where the exposure to the sort of history and the strategy and, um, and the, the mechanics behind it was, uh, was fascinating uh, and got my eyes, I guess, uh, open to the, the broader world. Um, in my time in the service, we'd always sort of been looking at what sort of electronic warfare components uh, and had always been responsible, for, I guess, for the digital security Off the ships and the submarines, though uh, operational delivery always took precedence. Uh, And this was about the time that NATO had declared sort of the the fifth domain, the the digital and the cyber domain, uh, along with land, air, sea, and space. Right. And and the technologies I I was aware of, I'd already been sort of operating with them. But this new fighting environment, I found fascinating. So on leaving stuff course um i i sort of re-directed or, or or formalized i guess the direction of my career uh so spent time in the sort of the military uh this is the tri-service communications capability uh looking at the, the network operations and, and security uh behind it uh and used that time to to upskill and study um, while delivering this this capability uh with the intent of at least giving myself another skill set for leaving uh and that being uh cyber security so
0: that's where the seed was was planted it was on your your staff course
1: certainly yes um and then uh, during this time i also married my wife who who's irish and yeah. um she was keen on on going back to uh ireland um i tried the the commuter flights for a little while um but but soon got very frustrated with it um uh, so everything was sort of just sort of naturally taking me down the path where i felt comfortable and uh where where my personal life was going was i thought now was the time to uh to take the leap of faith and and leave something that uh, at this time, had been the majority of my uh, my life and experience.
0: Yeah, so had you? So clearly, you you were sort of briefed or exposed to cybersecurity as a concept on your staff course. Um, but did you gain technical expertise and knowledge? Did you actually become responsible for this kind of thing, or or is it something that was kind of already aligned to everything you you'd been doing whilst at sea?
1: I think it was it was something that had already been aligned to everything. We'd been doing uh, yeah. and and training for um, really. I think the concept of the fifth domain and and the sort of cybersecurity is it is now turned. Uh, I think was just designating uh, the skill sets that that had been developed anyway uh, over time. And I think one of the biggest challenges uh, on on leaving the services is uh, taking your experience and putting it into sort of industry or, or speak as we say Um, Mm. because you might be fortunate and uh, engage with another ex-serviceman in in industry that just through briefly telling your service career, they'll, they'll know your experience and your background and your capability. Mm. But certainly in Ireland where the veteran community is, is not of the scale as you might find in, in the UK or the Commonwealth, it's it's not quite the case so originally i i thought maybe i'd sort of taken but been off more than i could chew uh the support network wasn't the same as you, you might see uh, in the uk to help that transition to the civilian workforce but on the other hand in hindsight i think it was it was that sort of push i needed to to really sort of cut ties and 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 learn how to do this uh commercially
0: yeah yeah so it's an interesting it's an interesting point uh, in terms of your journey everyone's journey is everyone will eventually leave the military um what would you say to people who were in the you know the navy the army the air force and who are considering leaving and um, uh, maybe thinking about cybersecurity as an opportunity. H- how do you think that those two can can meet, so to speak?
1: So I, I think that always I think get out there. You know, there's there's loads of security conferences taking place. Um, whether you realise it or not, you've in your career in the services, you've you've probably picked up a lot of information security, cybersecurity skill sets, you've probably been responsible for it Uh, you you know a a number of times um, and responsible for your teams and your operational units adhering to security policies and procedures. Um, I think spend a bit of time capturing that, uh, working on the CV. Um, I, I wish I'd sort of kept my CV up to date throughout my career, uh, and not just thought about it on on leaving. um, It's a lot harder to think back and want to capture all those skills. Uh, Mm. I also spent a lot of time reaching out to uh, and building my networks before leaving. Uh, Wanted to to better understand how I wanted to shape my career and where I might want to go, but also getting people to read my CV and and trying to translate it and shape it and mold it. Uh, And I think that was a huge amount of time well spent, um, and that was before I even started any of the sort of the, the resettlement activities that are that are available to you. Yeah, um, I also looked to civilianize uh, a number of the sort of qualifications and skill sets that I might have possessed um, in my time in the services. Uh, albeit that, latterly in my career, uh, the the military, certainly the navy, were were doing great efforts to have. Your experience accredited with civilian uh, organisations anyway, so that certainly helps a, a great deal. And then I think the only thing is sort of just take a leap and and get out there. Um, be prepared to maybe take a sort of a, a step down from your sort of leadership management position that you might be used to in the services to, to learn the trade. Um, but as I, I think I can safely say is. To accelerate and step up, uh, you can still do quite quickly. But I, I do feel like spending that time to, to learn the trade, both how to deliver these things for a commercial gain, um, how to engage with with clients, and all the sort of legalities around it, uh, and, and the paperwork around that, that supports that. Um, I think is, is, is subsequently paid dividend.
0: Mm. If you if you were speaking to someone who's still serving and they they haven't yet left. Um, maybe they're not in a technical role, but obviously the service revolves around providing security. How would you summarize the fundamental principles of cybersecurity to them, if that's possible? <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, so cybersecurity, you know, from my perspective, is, is, is it's just the digital domain, but it's not completely delatched from any other form of security. Um, I, I always look at security as layers, Uh, And I think very mature organizations also consider the physical layers in that. And and certainly uh, regulations are are certainly driving that way, way more. Um, There's no point, if you will, of of having great digital security controls if if you leave your server room unlocked uh, and someone can walk in and, and interface with it directly. Hopefully you've got... Uh, capabilities uh, implemented that that would detect any any interference uh, with your equipment. Um, also, I think now we're seeing, pertinently, so I I believe that the corona will will drive this this further. Is is the employment of of cloud based solutions? Yeah. So, changing the responsibility of who delivers your security capability as a firm or as an individual from on-premise uh technologies where you're responsible for everything from the, the physical to the digital to some of the major cloud providers uh where they will take on on that that greatest uh, responsibility certainly in the sort of the lower levels um I, i've only just learned this the other day that uh google has a navy apparently uh to to protect their assets and 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 deploy their assets as as they evolve so or maybe uh, so apparently so
0: <laughs> as um, in a, a fleet of ships
1: i believe so i believe so i i, I want to see this for my own eyes now <laughs> <laughs> uh but the the leadership in the management and the operational skill sets um irrespective of the technologies the technologies can be learned are invaluable um i come across a lot of people in in the trade where they have great technical skill sets um through study and are incredibly bright people um but just not yet had the opportunity to implement them in the real world be presented with real world challenges uh and, and evolve that think out of the box skill set which i think is inherent in, in all service people
0: mm. and i guess in addition to that the, the, when you when you're working in a team a lot of the time the biggest challenges um with regards to your project whether technical or otherwise are are people and people's different perspectives and opinions and creating alignment and stuff like that and um so yeah that I guess that's another skill set that that um a majority of ex military people bring to the party
1: oh certainly um i mean we we can't forget that in cyber security there's always or well, certainly at the moment there's always a person behind the computer so Uh, I've in my career since leaving I've regularly worked with a a lot of ex-intelligence from the services and the police forces uh, and the intelligence agencies uh, again trying to deliver as they once would have understand the intent the desires the needs of of the threat actors Um, and then with their their technical colleagues you can start to put together how they might enact their will Mm. Um, and then you can you wargame it as well. You can simulate it. You can you can team it so you you can then start to work out how best to defend uh, against these potential threat actors. Mm. And the interesting thing is is is, is no one day is the same. Uh, it's a little bit of a cold war in the sense that the threat actors come up with new ingenious ways of uh, infiltrating and attacking systems, whether that be for data extraction, or uh, ransom, potentially. Um, so the defenders then, then then move to block them. Um, then you might get a new technology implemented, which introduces new vulnerabilities. Uh, and all the, the threat actors find new and ingenious ways of, of getting around it. So it's a highly dynamic environment. Mm-hmm. um and certainly one that, that keeps you on your toes and and if, if you're if you're into sort of learning and, and studying it is it is definitely uh, for me the the place to be
0: yeah and so you've mentioned threat actors there and i guess um there's probably a limit to the amount of detail that you can go into but how would you summarize who they are where they are and what they're trying to achieve
1: so in cybersecurity, security, they, they sort of broadly try and categorize them. Um, and a number of models have been developed uh, to try and identify who they might be from, from their actions uh, with the intent of then trying to predict their future actions so that you can be proactive in your defenses. And it can be everything from uh, a, a script kiddie, as we call them. So a, a curious teenager, maybe, that... Um, that's you know that, that thinks that maybe the government's hiding something from them on their computers or they're trying to amend their exam results um through to criminal activities where they might be trying to evade the law maybe in say drugs and arms dealing uh using the the sort of world wide web as a, as a communications pathway and a and uh, a marketplace hmm. um you might also have criminal activities. Uh, in, in terms of ransomware attacks, where they prohibit a company from operating uh, until they they pay them a, a ransomware by uh, encrypting their data maybe or or preventing access to their remote systems uh, and then this moves all the way up the chain through to nation states where uh, nation states and foreign agencies might be trying to get intelligence on persons of interest uh, out of commercial enterprises. So mm. uh, maybe watching card payments of hotels to be able to track persons of interest around the world uh, mm. or whilst being undetected. So the, the variety of uh, threat actors that you might face um, is massive. Uh, the funding behind them greatly changes their intent greatly changes and their technical capability greatly changes um and a lot of these capabilities are are available there for sale Hmm.
0: as as a service
1: as a service yes um (laughs) interestingly uh some completely legitimately um and others illegally
0: wow interesting and so during your time you 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 left the military in 2015, and then since then you've you've worked for two of the big four, including Ernest Ernest Young or EY. You've also worked for Accenture. So you've really sort of hit the ground running and worked for some of the biggest, most prevalent firms. Um, and and what's what's their role, or what what have you done within those organisations in terms of supporting? Clients, I mean, I guess the clients could be a wide variety of organizations. They could be private uh, Companies could be maybe governments is, is is the is the client side equally diverse? Yeah,
1: yes, yeah, certainly. Uh, so yes, it can be it can be government. It can be uh, Nationalized say provide energy providers or or, or private providers uh, depending on, on the, the nation uh, and it can be enterprises so uh, financial services Uh, would be one so banks um, uh, energy providers and generators so more in the operational technology space uh, away from the enterprise systems Um, yes it it is it's highly diverse uh, and it really depends the opportunities that you generate for yourself really depends on uh, your position within a firm uh, the department in which you're working in um, and, and the diversity of that that firm. So with EY I was in the financial services cybersecurity component and did little bits uh, across with operational technologies and information communication systems. Uh, From that I went to Accenture which was innovation uh, in their global innovation center over here in Dublin Uh, and that was fantastic in exploring how artificial intelligence and machine learning could be used to build better security capabilities in, in detecting malicious activities on your networks, um, trying to reduce the workload f- for those operating in, in security operating centers, uh, and also give them greater insight over greater periods of time. So the ability to watch the network and all its activities for, for extrapolated periods of time and, and the ability to s- sort of spot patterns and highlight those patterns which potentially indicate uh malicious activity which needs to be investigated and addressed Mm -hmm. um and that was a you know uh, that also includes the vision systems and again in terms of clientele it could be anything from you know police services to banks to to oil refineries to uh some of your major high street shops um all moving to the greater digital exposure to to realise greater operational effectiveness and efficiencies and and reach a broader market uh, quicker, uh, reducing costs. Um, As we might see at the back of this, probably increasing resiliency uh, in terms of business continuity planning and and business resiliency, um, all uh, exposed to the potential digital threat
0: well, yeah, it's 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 fascinating really when you when you consider all of the um the potential connotations for different organizations. It makes me think of small businesses. so obviously the UK is made up of that that the economy is uh, it, it, there's a really significant proportion or share of it that is very small businesses. What risks do you think they're sort of exposed to uh, because clearly they're they're not going to be able to, Afford the services of a of a large consultancy, and how do you think they can mitigate risk?
1: Well, certainly, the, uh, small businesses. Your career, the, the cost function might be prohibitive to some of the larger consultancy firms. Uh, there are equally smaller consultancy firms that that will offer these services uh, at a more uh, manageable price point. Um, there is an awful lot of best practice. And guidance out there uh, available to small businesses to enact on themselves mm. um, the UK government has been excellent in in publishing a lot of this sort of work about how to how to behave online how to configure your systems uh, and I think it goes beyond small medium enterprises to the home uh, you know educating your family and your children on uh, how to how to live and work on the internet, um, how to protect them from potential mal- malicious actors. There, um, uh, you know, not, not clicking on suspicious emails, uh, little checks to, to confirm as to, to whether that email or, mm. or that communication is legitimate. Um, very good personal security as, as w- again, we would have all been trained for and exposed for in the military. Um, you know how to how to look after yourself and uh and and depending on the threat environment uh how to behave so as to not to uh put yourself or your family at risk Mm.
0: yes yeah and i guess in simplistic terms for a lot of those examples in terms of the home and 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 also small businesses they could would it be fair to say that the Suspicious emails are one possible avenue. You also get phone calls from different yes. organizations, don't you? Uh, text messages. I recently got a text message from uh, a fake water company which had a phone number to call and the phone number was one digit difference, uh, different to Southern Water. And. Uh, if you if you phone them up, then essentially they say that your bill is due and it's it's overdue and you need to pay it and let's pay it right now. And it was it was pretty effective. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if, if people fell for that. You know, it, it, um, I wasn't far off falling for it. So I guess the, the, uh, is it fair to say that they're the sort of three mediums by which you might receive risky content? So email, text message and phone calls?
1: I think that would be yeah very fair I think anything where you've in the service space everything where you've got a digital interface so yeah your you your mobile devices your ipads your phones uh or or your computer um you're potentially exposed to risk, I wouldn't dismiss snail mail uh though i, I certainly i i see less of that influence um be, you know uh, but also you know it comes down to you know what what information you share out there because you know a a sophisticated or a fairly sophisticated threat actor will will do the you know do their homework and shape their communications with you uh utilizing what we call open source intelligence but all the information that someone might willingly put out there to try and make themselves look like a, a legitimate client or or a legitimate reason as to why you should engage with them whether that be just getting you to Pay the money directly, or whether that's them trying to uh, put a hook into your systems through getting you to click onto a link so that they can upload some malicious software and and start looking through your systems. So uh, humans, uh, I think, are our greatest strength in security, but also potentially are one of our main weaknesses uh, mm-hmm. and first line of defence. After that, installing uh, you know verified. Uh, antiviruses and keeping it up to date um it, you know it's also sort of good practice
0: excellent well it's useful useful tips there and um if you were if i mean you, you gave an interesting example when we were chatting offline about bridging that gap between the sort of non-technical military aspect of security into considering cyber security could you sort of summarize that example again because it was quite quite interesting
1: yes yeah, certainly so I I would say that because the the industry and the the trade and the technologies move on so quickly there you know I would honestly say there's there's no way I can be an expert if you will um, in all these technologies so it's about leveraging and building your team around you um, and, and that can be everything from from graduates who will be studying the, the latest technologies in, in in their respective colleges and universities uh, up to those with sort of the the commercial and, and industry experience about the applicability of of these these components in the in the real world mm. um, My experience has shown that it's rare to get someone with both um, and those that do are highly valuable uh, but by building that team of, of both technical and, and those with uh, industry knowledge, uh, and putting them together I think you you end up developing a sort of more of a formidable solution and offering uh, in our case for our clients
0: mm. Great so in in terms of your own personal aspirations now so you're, you're five to five years down the line from from leaving so you've well and truly sort of found your feet and found your path What what's your aspiration moving forward?
1: um currently i'm in a in a in a great job uh and really enjoying um working with my colleagues to to build build this team uh I'd like to see it become sort of the number one in 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 our in our region. I think that would be a sort of a, a fantastic achievement and also enjoying the exposure at the moment the diversity in clients that i've had the the opportunity to work with um and, and develop solutions for and and help. Uh, is certainly keeping me uh, inspired uh, and motivated um as as for what's around the corner, um I think it's it'll be evolving and keeping up with with the industry and trade and it'll be interesting to see where that leads me.
0: brilliant, that's great. Ben, thank you very much for your time. I really do appreciate it and it's it's fascinating to get an insight into. The world of cybersecurity and how you've you've made the leap from the military, and hopefully some people will find it useful in terms of planning their own career changes.
1: It's been my pleasure. Thank you, Mark.
0: Thanks, Ben. Take care. Oh,
1: bye bye.